Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm great. Uh, thank you very much uh, for accepting my invitation and accepting to be on my show. Yeah, you're welcome. So, I've gone through a profile. I can see you're doing a lot of work. So, I thought to tell about your work to my audience. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not on purpose. Not on purpose. Um, yeah, what, 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 what do you, how would you describe me and what I do? Uh, I can see you're into technology from a long time, uh-huh. uh, uh, doing different uh, uh, projects. So I thought to uh, explore that and, uh, you know, tell how you did that uh, to my audience. Uh-huh. Well, I'm ready. Yeah. Can you please introduce yourself to my audience? Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Clovillars. I am a digital expert from Belgium in uh, Europe. And for the past 20, 25 years or so, um, I've been focused on the impact of digital technology on our daily lives, our private lives and professional lives. Uh, my claim to fame is that I write handbooks on digital marketing. Uh, the three most recent ones are called Digital Marketing Like a Pro, Content Marketing Like a Pro, and Video Marketing Like a Pro. That's about it. Yeah, one one second. You want me to do it over? Yeah, yeah. Can you can you be more specific? Well, um, I fell in love with the internet uh, somewhere uh, at the end of the nineties, and what attracted me was that it uh, this technology reinvents itself every six months. So that means that that makes a lot of people very nervous, uh, but that also uh, means that for me, it never gets boring. Um, if you're a digital professional, you owe it to yourself to keep up to date. Uh, for example, uh, about not even a year ago, ChatGPT was launched, not even a year ago. And if you look at the, uh, the impact that it's having today, uh, on, for example, marketing professionals, uh, it's it's huge. It's uh, I think up there, the type of impact that it has is just as big as the, the in 2007 when Steve Jobs uh, introduced one more thing, the smartphone, the iPhone, that also changed everything. Uh, and and before that, Google search engine uh, also changed everything. So I think that's what uh, keeps it interesting for me and. Uh, what I enjoy most is to, lately, what I enjoy most is to produce a lot of content and publish it. I'm mostly active on uh, on LinkedIn, for example. I have a weekly newsletter called uh, Chaos and Amazement. Uh, I do live streaming, uh, podcasts. Uh, so I love the idea that I can be uh, productive as a content producer and then see how my audience reacts to it. And then I'll learn from that. I love the interaction. So before talking about you and the work that you have done, uh, uh, I want to uh, tell about uh, 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 my sponsor for this uh, uh, episode. Uh, so it's Stat Adam, uh, sales and customer facing teams often switch between various communication tools causing time management and visibility issues that slow down deal velocity. The solution is Stat Adam. With Start Adam, your team can uh, centralize all communications within your chat tool, ensuring compliance, no more switching, waiting, or fragmented chats. Sales teams uh, reach customer where uh, they are building trust and relationships through constant communication. Plus, Start Adam auto summarizes conversations in your CRM, eliminating data entry and speeding up deals. Join Start Adam today and start building customer relationships with centralized and compliant chat. Thank you very much uh, uh, again uh, for your presence. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, what what made you to be in technology and uh, what is uh, driving you to do these many things? Well, back then, which was 25 years ago, I'm 53 now. Uh, back then I had uh, one or maybe already two babies. And uh, I was looking for, uh, I'm actually trained as a linguist. So I studied languages and, and literature. I thought I would become a journalist uh, or maybe a language teacher. That's what I thought. 
but pretty soon I was trying to find a job that I, where I could work from home. Because in, in Belgium, we have a lot of uh, traffic jams. And uh, if you have to spend time in a traffic jam every morning and every evening, five days a week, I didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, so I was looking for a type of job that I could do from home. And very quickly, I discovered that uh, if you have an internet-related job, you can work any any time. Uh, when when you know when the kids were sleeping, I would work at night. My first job was actually uh, uh, was actually running a rap radio station uh, with someone else, and uh, uh, so there was a whole community around it. There was a website, there were chats, there were the, the radio programs themselves, obviously live streaming, uh, which was very challenging, technologically speaking, and uh, sending the newsletters, uh, working with the DJ, stuff like that. And that was actually my first internet-related job. Um, I remember we were working from the basement uh, in, in Brussels. Uh, in, the, in The basement was actually in the same building, was the very first internet service provider in Belgium. So the good news was that uh, we had a lot of bandwidth uh, because we were literally sitting on the backbone <laughs> of the Belgian internet. The downside was that it was a basement, so we didn't have any we didn't have any windows. Uh, were, uh, we didn't have any oxygen, no daylight. Uh, I was still smoking a lot, uh, so that was uh, looking back a very unhealthy environment. But it was fun. And I learned a lot about creating content online, using a streaming audio back then, uh, running a community, managing a community, uh, stuff like that. And it just kind of went on from there. And uh, today I do publish a lot of content, so I do write. Uh, I'm a blogger. I started my personal blog in 2004. I still write like one or two blog posts a week. Um, and I also teach. So basically, I'm not that far away from what I thought I would become uh, when I was in my 20s. So what what you do right now uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to technology? Yeah, so um, a lot of things. Um, let's say my, my day job is that I, um, I teach digital marketing at two colleges, one in Antwerp, and, uh, and one in Brussels. Uh, so the one in Antwerp is for entrepreneurs and then the one in Brussels is for young students from all over the world. I like uh, teaching, not full time, but I like the way they react to what I'm trying to share with them. So it kind of forces you to keep it fresh, you know, because uh, uh, otherwise you will very, very, <laughs> you will notice that they will, you know, doze off <laughs> during classes and. I try to teach them how to use technology to save themselves a lot of time and effort, even if you don't have a lot of budget. Um, I do a little bit consulting on the side uh, for large organizations, although um, uh, most of it is um, in not in Belgium, actually. Um, I, I'm a volunteer, and I get sent out by an organization to do consulting, digital marketing consulting for companies in, well, this summer I was in Mozambique in July, and then in, uh, in August I was in Rwanda, uh, helping local entrepreneurs uh, do their own digital marketing. I enjoy that uh, because they are real business people, you know, they have like a bakery or a furniture company. And then there I am uh, trying to teach them how to build a website, use Google Business, use social media, uh, etc. And then um, for fun, um, I'm very active on social media. So every week I do a live stream called Chaos and Amazement, uh, where I, me and the host called Phil, uh, we talk about the latest technology news. Um, and uh, and how it impacts uh, our daily life. So that's basically these three things. Um, that's that's what I spend my time on. So podcast. Uh, what what topics that you usually you talk? Lately, it's a lot about artificial intelligence and and how it's changing the way we work. Uh, because mostly, uh, when for example, news media when they talk about 
generative artificial intelligence, um, it's mostly very negatively. It, it's as if it's something to be afraid of. Um, that's why the show is called Chaos and Amazement. There's a lot of chaos. Um, and a lot of like European institutions are trying to regulate artificial intelligence and they're trying to, I don't know, ban it or something, uh, come up with uh, new regulations and acts. And I understand that this is necessary because there's a lot of chaos. But I try to point out the amazement uh, part as well. Uh, and, and how you can use it as an organization and as an individual to save yourself a lot of time and energy and resources and to be more creative. I do that on purpose uh, because I think it's too easy to just scare people and say, you know, AI is going to take our jobs. Uh, if you try to scare people, um, that makes for, you know, good headlines and they will click on it. Uh, because this is a type of news that attracts people. You can't help yourself. You you want you want to watch that video that says AI will kill us all and robots will take over. But the effect is that it when fear paralyzes people, you just don't know what to do. You're afraid. You don't know what to do. It's, you're you're like you know frozen, and that's not helping anyone. Uh, we're all trying to you know. Uh, improve ourselves, uh, make a living, uh, interact with our environment, and that's not happening if you're if you're paralyzed with fear. So what, what what I'm trying to do on purpose is to point out no, but listen, if you work together with, for example, Microsoft just announced so they had this big um, ignite uh, conference uh, in the past few days, and they announced that. A lot of their AI applications are being integrated into existing Microsoft products. And uh, for example, I use the Bing chatbot daily. I think it's far better than just ChatGPT. I use Bing every, every day for a lot of things. And now Microsoft announced that they're going to integrate it further into all the Microsoft products that we all know. But they're not going to call it Bing anymore. And they're also not going to mention ChatGPT anymore. They're calling it Copilot. That's very smart, calling it Copilot, because everyone knows what a Copilot is. The Copilot is not going to take your job. It's like your wingman, you know, he's, on, he's next, next to you, not trying to take your job. He's next to you. And whenever you need the help, you go to your Copilot and you say, can you take over for a bit? Um, can you help me out with this? What do you think? So I think the, the term co-pilot for all the AI integrations in Microsoft's product is really, really smart. And uh, um, I, I think it's the way to go, to consider it as a co-pilot and, and not some robots are trying to take your job. For example, another, another so AI is invisible. Um, we don't know what it looks like. It's algorithms and databases and interfaces. So, and, and AI has been around for 50 years now. For example, the AI that's helping to keep spam messages out of your Gmail inbox, that has been around for at least 15 years. So it's, it's not new. It's been around for 50 years now, AI. But we don't know what it looks like. So when we talk about it, for example, in a blog post or a news article, we want it to have a body and a face so that we can talk about it. So at what body and face do they pick? A robot. Why? <laughs> because we know robots from science fiction movies um, and we know what they look like, but they are always the bad guys. In science fiction movie, the robots are all like Terminator, right? The robot is always the bad guy. And, and, and then we're picking pictures of robots who are in our minds always the bad guy to talk about AI. So everyone thinks that, yes, so AI is also the bad guy because whenever a robot shows up in a movie, there are a few exceptions. Uh, but usually he's the one that's going to take over and kill us all. And, and that's because Science fiction movies with robots usually are exactly the same as Western movies with cowboys. And Western movies are very simple. 
you have the good cowboy, you have the bad cowboy. Usually the bad cowboy has like a black cowboy hat. And then the good cowboy has a white cowboy hat. And the problem with the bad guys is that you can't, you don't know what you're thinking. So they're planning something and you don't know what they're thinking. So when you pick a robot as the bad guy, that's because you can't see what they're thinking. They have a robot face. You don't know what their emotions are. Um, so that's why robots are always the bad guys. And, uh, and I'm against using pictures of robots when we're talking about AI. I don't like it. I also don't like the term AI. It's artificial intelligence. What? Why artificial? That's, that's a word like virtual or fake. It's the wrong, the wrong word. It, it should be like augmented intelligence, for example. So I'm having a lot of, so I'm trying when I'm a keynote speaker, when I'm making videos, when I'm writing blog posts, I try to come up with some sort of an antidote for the panic that is being created about AI. There is bad AI, it exists. But for me, that is, for example, autonomous weaponized drones. They should be stopped immediately. And whoever is selling them, buying them, using them should be put in jail. I mean, literally, uh, because that's a crime against humanity to use uh, autonomous weaponized drones. But there are no laws yet. So they are being used in, in weaponized conflicts in the world, like, for example, in Ukraine, they're being used. So an autonomous weapon, it's a drone, right? It's a, a drone with weapons. But it uses AI, for example, facial recognition. I can I can tell an autonomous weaponized drone, show them your face, and say this is this is the guy you need to kill. And then it will use facial recognition to find out where you are, and then it will kill just you, not the person standing next to you or sitting next to you in the car. These weapons exist; you can buy them. Um, and obviously, this needs to be stopped. Uh, this is not, it's a weapon. It's, it's a, um, you, you can theoretically use these weapons to kill only people that have particular facial features. You know, that look like a, an ethnic group that have the typical facial of one particular ethnic group in China, for example. Uh, the Uyghurs, they 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 have they look different. So you can give a briefing to one of these autonomous weaponized drones and say, look, whenever there's someone that looks like this, he's probably one of the and you kill them. That is literally criminal. So this is this is um this is something that needs to be stopped. But that all I see is about GPT should be banned. Uh, generative AI, that's the wrong discussion, I think. Wrong discussion. So, as a digital uh, marketing expert, as a as a person who is uh, understanding how uh, the content uh, has been published in the internet uh, and uh, how it is creating impact and uh, and how it is uh, creating a different image rather than actual image uh, because of different uh, purpose uh, people are doing it and also uh, you talk with a lot of business uh, uh, leaders and. Uh, 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 teaching them, training them, yes. the digital marketing, and mm -hmm. uh, it makes sense what you have said uh, uh, about AI, and uh, you want to change the name, not uh, the artificial yeah. intelligence, but uh, 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 a different name. Uh, that that actually uh, makes sense. So when it comes to the international leaders, like Elon Musk, talk about AI, they he he also says that. Uh, 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 it, there, there should be uh, a control for it and there should be a security thing like you know there should be an like how in the sports we have a referee like to tell war you know to control it who is right and who is wrong yeah. there should be a referee for uh, for this system as well so how how we are going to uh, how we should use this AI because this is extension of uh, human knowledge now uh, like you said uh, before 50 years now it is more like uh, uh, it is being used more in different uh, not only in microsoft applications also 
different technology companies are using it uh, in different uh, uh, softwares so how uh, what are the negative consequences of it and how it is going to be controlled with humans yeah by so humans when it comes to negative you know I look at the weaponized ones and um, uh, um there is no such thing as a global court or like a world police it or a world government it doesn't exist um however all of these tools and databases and algorithms they have a global impact so that's that's the problem that we're having right now there is only one organization that on a global level can punish people for producing buying selling using uh weapons like that and that is uh against nuclear weapons so that's literally the only organization um that um tries to find out who private persons organization militias governments whenever they use uh nuclear weapons they get caught they get punished and they literally go to jail and that's the only the only global police like institution we have which was installed after um Hiroshima and Nagasaki got bombed uh with a nuclear bomb and then everyone in the world finally agreed that we should never use this type of weapons again but besides that there's nothing there's no one that you you can't NATO UNESCO there's no organization that has the power to punish people who use it negatively so that's the issue right now um so that's why it's 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 useless to try and make people afraid of it the real focus should be on uh creating a global organization that decides what level of damage is criminal and that also has the power to stop people who are using ai uh in a very negative way so what do you observe right now seeing the present technology or tools and services well on, on my level which is like many levels below using ai to kill people <laughs> um um i i use ai to be more productive so i get a lot more work done on my own and it is a type of work that for example used to be outsourced to advertising agencies um uh, and uh what i how i use it and what i teach my students is that you should just like wikipedia remember when everyone discovered wikipedia teachers were saying yeah it will make students lazy because instead of writing their own paper and doing their own research that would just copy paste from wikipedia remember that um uh, and before that when um that's a very long time ago when calculators came up math teachers were also saying um students will become lazy because they will just use the machine to make calculations so um what i'm trying to teach them now is that whatever the for example generative ai something comes out like a video an image a text never copy paste it because it is never the final it you should never pick that as the final result um it, it that's that's not how you should work with it so it's not chatgpt that writes your paper it's just like a copilot that helps you you know when you're stuck uh or helps complete or transform something so what i do i use like five six different tools and i go back and forth until i'm looking at a text for example that i think is good enough but before deciding that it's good enough i've been using four or five different tools and copy pasting the text uh, for example i use bing the chatbot a lot to come up with original ideas because bing mentions the sources so it will tell you where it got the input and i like that um but then afterwards i will use chatgpt to transform it into a different style um i will ask now rewrite this for a target audience that is not technical and that is a lot younger rephrase it in common language don't use technical words then i will use grammarly i i've been using grammarly quite i for years now 
but Grammarly has Grammarly Go. Now. And when you show a text to Grammarly Go, you can ask questions like, what is missing? What is missing? Identify gaps. And then Grammarly Go will say something like, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's not bad, uh, but uh, the text will become a lot clearer if you add an example of what you're trying to explain. You're giving a definition and then, you know, and then, but explain it with an example. I say, yeah, that's actually true. That is a gap in my text. If I add that, it becomes a better text. So my, my point is that you should still know um, what a good text is. And that's something that AI tools, they're, they're just trying to help you, you know. You still have to be able to look at your, whatever you've created, an image, a video, and then look, is this good enough? Is this good enough? Will this actually change the behavior of my target audience? Will this make them click on the button? Will this make them buy my product? Will this make them register for my event? And that is something that you, as the user of generative AI, that's a skill set, you know. If you look at SEO, so SEO has been like half very technical and, and half knowing what people really are looking for. So Google will always say, write for people, not for, you know, the SEO robots. While SEO professionals will write for robots, you know, they, they, they will, they'll look at it as if it's like a formula that you have to apply. So obviously, SEO experts are using a lot of generative AI to come up with super SEO optimized texts that are super optimized for the machine, not, not for the people. And I think that's wrong uh, because I, what Google, the search engine is now looking for, what they're building right now is, is a, a better way for them uh, to notice that a text that was copy-pasted from ChatGPT, for example, um, that it's written for machines and not for people. And it's actually bad for your SEO if you use ChatGPT and then copy-paste that on your website thinking that it will help you with your SEO. It's always around, it's always around about people. And uh, you have been in technology for uh, more than 20 years and you're seeing yeah. the evolution. You have seen the constant change that is happening in the technology. And uh, uh, how do you define uh, uh, this human computer interaction? Uh, how it is influencing uh, actually the human mindsets uh, with yeah. social media content and uh, how humans are being uh, controlled by you know, the artificial intelligence that is coming or artificial intelligence is going to control human beings? Like what is going to be uh, with this interaction? It is actually very hard to control human beings. Uh, there, there have been governments uh, like uh, dictators like Stalin, for example, or Mao Zedong have tried to control people. And eventually it appears it's very hard to change people's behavior because they like their little routines. And people like their little, the funny stuff and interacting with people and making friends. And, and what I like is the serendipity of like, because you get up in the morning and you have absolutely no idea <laughs> what's going to happen and who you're going to meet to come. And that's what makes being a human worthwhile. That's, that's what makes us human beings is, is the whole, the chaos and the amazement, both of them. So machines and AI are very good at optimizing things and automating things, but I don't think that is something that humans look at and say, yeah, I want to become like that. I want to be 100% perfect and super efficient and no longer have this little bit of chaos and amazement in my life. So I don't think AI will uh, influence people in such a way that they, their behavior changes. So I don't agree uh, with you, but I look at how technology has been evolving. What interests me is the interface that we have with technology. So for example, at first it was the browser, a computer connected to the internet, and then the interface was a browser. And at first, a lot of the internet was simply you reading what was on your screen. And now with social media that changed, we started to also interact with it. 
and, and publish and upload and comment and, and like. And, and so it became like, you know, two ways, still a browser, but it became two ways. That's interesting. And then, and then the iPhone uh, came and with it, the whole idea of using smartphones for everything, the smart, no longer the computer and the browser, we had this thing in our pockets that was very powerful and that was evolving into something like a remote control for our life. The interface was something that we literally always had with us, very close to us. And apps, not websites, apps, apps were able to do transactions like e-commerce apps. Um, apps were able to use the sensors that were in your smartphone so that you, for example, location uh, could, could be used in, in this interaction. So first websites and browsers, then apps. And then now we're seeing a third revolution, I think, in the interface, uh, which is what OpenAI called uh, agents or GPTs. So basically, instead of getting like one super artificial intelligence, an artificial general intelligence, which would not make sense, not, not for AI and not for us. What we're getting is like small, small agents, like, um, for example, I've written five, six books. What I could do is to actually feed, I could literally use a GPT and then feed it with all of my books on digital marketing. And then this thing um, is available in the OpenAI store so someone can buy it, and I can make money. So someone can buy it. And then whenever they have a problem related to digital marketing in that company, they can use this little agent and then ask it a very specific question. And the answer is based on all of my books. So you have like a, a mini teacher, like a cool digital marketing teacher. You have that available as one as one agent. So it's like, a, I like to call these GPTs or these, you know, they're like genius in a box. So they are very good at one thing, like teaching you everything about digital marketing. And uh, I like the idea of agents uh, and, and GPTs. And I think if you would go to like a general artificial AI, it would not be like one big brain that is trying to, you know, influence, which it would make sense. I mean, why? Um, but I think uh, these little agents, or as I call them, genius in a box, um, that they know that whenever they need help from another genius in another box, or whenever they need to be connected with the internet, or they need to do like a, uh, use a search engine or Wikipedia, uh, that they can reach out, connect, do whatever they need to do, and then come back to you and give you a better answer. So it's not one big super brain. It's actually all these little geniuses and then their own little boxes, but they know how to make connections with each other whenever it's needed. So eventually the, the uh, reason for technology is to reduce the human uh, mental, physical, emotional effort. Yeah, exactly right. right. I, I think uh, one, uh, there's technology like uh, a horse. A horse was also technology that enabled um, um, a general, let's say, Genghis Khan, you know, his army won because they knew how to use horses to move the soldiers a lot faster than the other ones. That's why he was winning. So for them, Using horses, they had been around for a while, but they just knew how to use it to move soldiers a lot faster than the other armies. And, and I think that is what technology does. If you use it right, it gives you, um, it gives you an edge. And what does a technology company uh, experts, because there will be a lot of experts will be watching and listening to you from anywhere in the world. They can be working in Microsoft or Amazon or Netflix or any technology a company from anywhere in the world uh, 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 who actually leaders. So what exactly that uh, your observations are that they have to put in their mind so that it can be used in a positive way? 
Um, so I live in Belgium in Europe and, and data privacy, personal data privacy is really important here. So we, if you compare us to the United States, regulations are a lot more strict here. So I think um, something that needs to be protected at all costs and that should only be controlled by the individuals themselves is personal data. Um, I'll give you one example. Um, we now know more or less that whenever we post something on social media, that it, be, it can become part of the public sphere, you know. Um, so most of us know to be careful when they post something. They know the deal, right? You're able to use Facebook for free and then return uh, your interests um, are being made available to advertisers. So if they know that you're interested in an electric car, uh, you can get ads for it. So I think everyone knows now what the deal is. However, if you were walking in the street and there are cameras, security cameras, they are everywhere now, uh, using facial recognition to identify the fact that it's you, uh, that makes me very uncomfortable because I know that there are companies like, for example, Palantir or Clearview. Palantir is owned uh, by Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel, one of the first investors in Facebook, and I think a very creepy guy. He's a million, he's one of those Silicon Valley uh, millionaires, right? And um, the problem that I have is that Palantir is selling its services. So they're collecting information about people. So they have a file on you, but the data where you, they never asked your permission to have data collected on you and your behavior, who your friends are, where you were yesterday, uh, that you, not, you, you didn't even know because it's based on some security camera picking up uh, while you were walking in the street. That's not okay. It's, it's not okay in any sense. Um, and I know that Palantir, for example, will sell its services to a local police force. So the local police force, uh, they're looking for criminals and then they can pay Palantir and then Palantir will tell them, we're pretty sure this is the address where that guy lives and he goes to the, this gym every Friday night. They can tell you that. And if you're a criminal, you can say, okay, that's how they catch criminals. But what if this same service is also being used to predict that you might become a criminal next week? You haven't done anything yet, but based on your behavior, they think, ah, uh -uh, we know this type of behavior. Usually when they do this and then they do that, then uh, they, kill, they kill someone. It's, it's the, the movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Is exactly about that. And that movie was made in 2006. 2006. And this is what these companies are doing. Um, and that makes me very uncomfortable. I think whenever Microsoft's of this world and OpenAI and all the others, um, I think uh, personal data privacy uh, should, should be protected above everything else. And I think the European um, uh, data privacy regulations, although they're a lot stricter than the rest of the world, I think they should be set as an example uh, for on a global level, not just on European soil. But uh, these uh, advertisement companies are like uh, uh, companies to these uh, technology companies uh, in order to reach their advertisements or uh, their products through these uh, social media networks, mm -hmm. uh, social networking platforms yep. where they can find users because yep. they have users there and they are coming to these people. Uh, how uh, are technology companies, are, you know, the products or the services, mm -hmm. the, 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 the leaders, the business leaders, how uh, they have to decide what to put and uh, how, how to give, how good the user experience should be? Mm. That's a tricky question uh, because um, when you are, I don't like the word user. I, it makes you sound as if you're like a drug addict or something. IT people say user, marketing people say consumer. And that's another thing. What are we doing? Is all we are supposed to do is like just eat, 
consume. Um, I prefer to talk about people. Uh, it's it's always about people, and you need a lot of users because or, or consumers or people. You need a lot of people on your platform because otherwise there's no network effect. There's no value in it. I'll give you one example. So Twitter is going down the drain, right? The experience is really bad, and it breaks my heart because it was my favorite social media platform. And uh, so everyone is looking for Twitter alternatives. And there are a lot of very well-built alternatives like Mastodon or Signal or Blue Sky. So there's like a long list of apps and platforms that are a very valid alternative for Twitter. And yet it's very hard to leave Twitter because Mastodon, for example, I have an account there and nothing happens. I mean, there's not enough users to make it interesting. And then the users that are there, all they do is complain about Twitter. <laughs> so it's it's so you need a lot of, of people using your app, for example, to make it interesting. So these apps, um, they become very good at giving you exactly what you like. TikTok is, is genius. I mean, I, I've uninstalled TikTok because it was so addictive. You can literally spend three hours, three hours of your day just scrolling through videos and you love every one of them. It's showing you things that even you yourself didn't realize that you would like. So um, it's, it's the user experience, as the apps call it, uh, apps like TikTok are becoming so good at giving people exactly what they like and exactly what they need so that, that then they can build uh, a platform uh, where a lot of people are uh, active so that the platform, the platform is a business model. If you have a platform and there's millions of people uh, opening your platform and access it, it every day, that's when you can make money. So that's exactly how this is how the world turns today. So I have an observation uh, uh, about this AI. Uh, uh, when we are asking uh, something uh, in any app, it can be Instagram, Twitter, or, uh, or Facebook, or YouTube. Uh, uh, it is collecting uh, the data that I'm, you know, the search yeah. history of mine, and it is giving uh, relevant results uh, uh, today and tomorrow. And you know, it is being continued. It is, uh, it is the, the the AI is understanding what I want and yes. giving what I. Uh, you know, related products, uh, the mm -hmm. recommendations are coming with uh, what I am asking. So, uh, is is that good, this algorithm that is working? Is that good? Because uh, uh, it is giving you answers like ChatGPT is good and uh, like you said, uh, Microsoft product, also AI product, which is like, you know, you're asking and it is giving you what you want. And based upon the, you know, information that, that already has, it is uh, giving you the best answer. But when it comes to the social media and uh, uh, internet, the algorithms, the AI algorithms is giving you information uh, based upon what you are asking. So mm -hmm. it is, is that possible for humans uh, to know? Yes. Uh, what, uh, to know what they do, uh, what they are not asking. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is actually, it, it's, some some people are getting addicted uh, because of these algorithms and they will stop doing things like going to the gym or going out and they replace that with just sitting in the sofa scrolling through the feed, right? So it does. And um, what I recommend people is, first of all, turn off all notifications. So on my, on my iPhone, uh, notifications are turned off for everything, for phone calls, for WhatsApp, for social media. And then every time there's an update, it will reinstall, yeah. you know, the note, and then I have to manually. So it, it actually, on my iPhone, I am in personal time, which is a setting on the iPhone, personal time, which means that nothing gets through, nothing. So my personal time is from one minute after midnight until uh, one minute before midnight. So it is when if, if you would call me, message me, there's nothing happens. Nothing happens on my screen. So um, it might sound a little drastic, 
but it enables me not to become addicted to the smartphone because the notifications are made to call you back and they give you this little adrenaline kick that feels good because you're excited because maybe someone mentioned you maybe something you know your favorite youtuber uploaded something so you get addicted to the adrenaline and the endorphins that you feel the excitement that something might be going so to stop that turn off all notifications check your messages twice a day and it will be fine i check them in the morning and i check them in the evening so the beginning of the day and the ending of the day and in between i don't check anything and i still get things done i mean we found each other uh we we booked i mean it's fine the world you know continues uh without you checking your notifications so that's that's one thing and another thing is that um right now the smartphone is is our interface with a lot of these apps it will change of course uh, but right now it's a smartphone and uh, uh you know battery life is an issue right so if you compare this to old nokias who would have a battery life of two or three days that's just like wow <laughs> so it needs to charge constantly and we get nervous uh, when we see that the battery life is, you know, only one or three blocks. So I kind of made that worse in my head. So I just told myself, you need to charge. And then whenever I can, I will charge my iPhone, which means I put it away. It's away. It's somewhere charging and I don't touch it. So that's how I avoid, you know, a quick check and then before you know, three hours pass by, it's dark outside, kids are hungry. <laughs> um, I just leave it and I don't charge it next to my bed. So whenever I go to sleep, the smartphone is not in the room uh, because otherwise you think, oh, I can't sleep. You know what? Let me just quick check. You know, quick check is never a quick check. Again, you will spend two or three hours looking at the screen. It's very bad, you know. Um, so the smartphone is charging somewhere else, not in my bedroom. I turn off all the notifications. And then usually my smartphone is uh, linked to the charger so that it, I kind of don't, I, I don't get tempted to pick it up and start interacting with it. Of course, it doesn't always work. I notice, for example, when I'm watching Netflix, I will still pick up the smartphone and then I think I can multitask and it starts with, for example, I'm watching a movie and then I think, I know that actor, I wanna Google that, right? So I pick up my smartphone and start Googling the actor, but then I get sucked in and I quickly check, you know, shorts on YouTube or, and then again, I get sucked in and I lose two hours of my life. So I'm not perfect. Uh, but by turning off the notifications and putting it, in, it on the charger and not letting it in my bedroom, I kind of win back um, a lot of the time that the algorithms are trying to take from me. So you're observing uh, technology and uh, this machine uh, with applications from past uh, 20 years. Uh, and. Uh, Today, uh, humans are taking it very seriously. It becomes the part of their life. Mm -hmm. So it is. So when tech, how do you uh, define the uh, human life uh, before technology and after technology? How it is influencing and uh, is that helping or enhancing uh, or this advanced technology is going to uh, uh, create a new kind of a uh, 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 culture or civilization? Very interesting question. Um, every generation behaves differently, but there was a time, for example, where I live, 100 years ago, there was the church bells would ring uh, every hour, every half an hour, and then you had a special church bell ring that says you need to pray, a bit like mosques are still doing now. So your rhythm, your routine throughout the day and what you were doing was actually dictated by church bells, by the institution of the Catholic Church. So they decided what your life looked like. And, and the interface was, uh, you were like, ding dong, oh, I need to stop working and I need to pray right now. So they also had notifications. 
It, and for example, if you look at old movies of what life was like in the 1950s, the black and white movies, um, you would have the father at breakfast, the breakfast table, and he would be reading a newspaper and he would hold up the newspaper like this. It's like wearing headphones, you know, it's actually telling everyone around you, don't disturb me. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm putting up a paper screen and I'm doing something. Don't interrupt me because the kids knew that when daddy was reading this newspaper or like that, you weren't supposed to talk to them. So I think we've always had, uh, you know, uh, like notifications and other things that would tell us how to go through our day and technology like a church bell was being used for that. Um, today it's the smartphone. Tomorrow it will probably be a new interface. I see that there's a lot going towards uh, spoken interface. Um, I'm still waiting for Siri to become smart because Siri has been, she's been around for I don't know, eight years, something like that, a long yeah. time. And she's still incredibly stupid, which I just can't believe it. Apple has so many data about what people ask and what they do. So they could have had the smartest AI on the planet and apply it to Siri. I mean, why not? And still she is like, she's, she's, she's an idiot, right? She's an idiot. It's always disappointing. Uh, whenever you ask Siri something, but she's already an interface that you talk to. That's something. So I think the next thing will be is that you say, okay, Google, or hey, Siri, or something like that. And then you kind of talk to, the interface would be to talk and it would talk back, which would mean that we get our hands free again. Right now, the hands are not free because there's always a smartphone in one of them. And that's dangerous when we're driving a car or a bicycle or when we're walking in the street, it's dangerous. It's also rude when someone else is in the room and you're always, you know, when you're on a date and the other person is constantly, that's rude, you know. But if you have a talk interface with whatever service you're using, we get our hands free and the eye contact is back. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. When you just and what, work, when you're yeah, yeah. in when you're there in the room for other people without you know being distracted by your smartphone so today because of internet uh, the countries are connected they are interconnected and the exchange of information is happening it can be yeah, in exactly. different forms so how do you define this uh, advancement and uh, the the change the evolution of technology I like it because um, if without this connectivity with people literally all over the world, I mean, I'm talking to you, we, without internet, we would never have met. Because you, will, you would be born in a village and some people never left the village. So the interaction that they had was with like 180 people that happened to live in the village and that was about it. So what I like about the internet, and that's why I fell in love with the internet 20, 25 years ago, is that if you're a little weird, we're all, you know, a little weird. Um, in the village, that was maybe an issue because it was harder for you to fit in. But now with the internet, it doesn't matter how weird you are. There is always someone out there who is just as weird as you and you can become friends. I mean, that will, I mean, it doesn't matter how super specific your interest is. If you're obsessed with fly fishing, there is someone in Norway who is just as crazy about fly fishing as you are, and you can connect. And I think that's, that's very, very powerful. I think it adds more um, to people's lives than that it takes away. So the productivity has been increased because of this connectivity, this networks. Yeah, productivity is, has always been an issue. If, if you would go back in time and look at a car factory, the way cars were made uh, 100 years ago in, in um, uh, that was, you know, people were distracted 
some of them were lazy some of them were you know trying to get get from you know being you can't believe how creative people can become if they if it if they can avoid to put in the work uh, students for example have always been super creative in trying to create shortcuts um, and, and, and in trying to find ways so that they don't have to work as hard and they have more time to party. Um, so um, I think technology will always be abused uh, by people who have bad intentions. Uh, uh, and that goes for all technology, you know. Um, so for people who want to be more productive, it can help. Like in my case, I want to be more productive and I want to publish more. I want to create more, but that's me personally. And technology helps me do that on my own uh, with, with, with very small budgets that, so that it empowers me. I get more done. But if you are a person who thinks I don't want to go out and work, I want to, you know, stay in bed all day if that's your personality then technology makes that very attractive and very easy for you to do so because you can now stay in bed all day and watch tiktok videos and youtube shorts all day long and order food have it brought to your door i mean you can do everything if that's what you want to do technology will make that very easy and what is going to be future technology based upon today's observation? Could you repeat your question? What is going to be uh, future technology uh, yeah. based upon understanding the present uh, 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 observation? Technology is already in the background of a lot of things that we're doing without us realizing it. If you look at AI, like the uh, spam filters uh, in Gmail, they're there in the background doing their work. They're stopping 99% of the spam, you know. Um, and I think that will evolve. It, it, now we think we have this chat.openai.com website. We have this Bing app. We have our smartphones. I think the interfaces will disappear so that they're just there in the background. And for us, it's no longer. And I, I remember that if you wanted to go online 25 years ago, you had to go to a room where there was this computer, like this ugly beige computers and then you had to uh, call in you know with a modem and it, it was actually a lot of effort it took you it took you like i don't know five ten minutes before you could actually go online and then the websites were loading like super slow internet compared to today so the whole ritual of going from your physical environment to going online, it used to be a real ritual, you know, you had to do what, I think that's going away. You just, you open your eyes and you're connected. You don't, you don't need to pick up the smartphone and, uh, you know, uh, de deactivate the lock screen. You don't have to type things on a keyboard anymore. You don't have to go to a computer. You just wake up in the morning, you open your eyes and it's there. So that's that's how it's evolving. And what is your observation about my work? About? What is your observation about my work? My work? Uh, your observation about my work, my videos, uh, what I'm doing. I love what you're doing. You're having interesting conversations uh, with, uh, with, with people. And uh, I had a look. There's a lot of diversity in there as well. Uh, because you're you're like you're like in in IT software I think yeah basically so the easy solution for you to, would be to talk only to other IT and software engineers because then you could talk about the same things but I noticed when looking at the other guests is that you make an effort to go outside uh, of of your little bubble and deliberately talk to people who do something. It's still related to technology, you know, you're not talking about, you're not exchanging recipes. Uh, you're not talking about cooking or lifestyle. It's still, you know, it, it, it's still, it has some things in common, but I noticed that they're different from you. Um, they, they live in different parts of the world. There's a lot of uh, 
I saw some female uh, speakers there as well. Uh, and that's how I knew that you made an effort. Uh, because if in, in IT technology, technology related, it's there's not a lot of women there. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're trying to change it. Mentality is changing, but the fact still is that when you talk about technology, the majority are still still men, uh, which is not bad in itself. It just becomes a little boring after a while. Uh, if it, and and you make an effort to have like different points of view and different people, I appreciate that. So I I personally did masters in software engineering, also bachelor's in computer science and engineering. Right now, I'm working for a UK com company uh, remotely as a DevOps engineer and a software developer. Mm -hmm. That's my full-time job. Uh, apart from that, I'm uh, talking with experts like you who are already yep. in the technology industry for a long time and uh, have seen uh, the how the technology is influencing people and how it is creating change and who knows about uh, how uh, Microsoft products or all technology company products, uh, how it is uh, changing and uh, developing and uh, uh, till now uh, until chat GPT. So uh, trying to uh, go uh, beyond uh, my zone or my my boundary and trying to interview experts from all over the world. More than 100 countries experts I have interviewed in the last three years. And uh, I also interviewed some experts from NASA in order to understand wow. how uh, they are using technology in space. Uh, you know, I'm trying to understand space technology, uh, what kind of software they are using and how that yeah. is going to be helpful for humanity in, in, in future. So how this is going to uh, uh, helpful for me uh, in future in my career, this uh, uh, diversity? Well, I hope um, if I look at interfaces. Um, I think that's, a, that's an interesting way of looking at things. How are people going to interact with technology? Uh, input and output. I think that's the next, that's that's where innovation will be. Uh, not the software, not the algorithms, not the data, uh, not even how it's being used. Uh, I think in the interfaces is uh, uh, where it becomes really interesting. And um, you could also look at the academic world. The past decades, the MIT uh, in Massachusetts uh, They've had a lot of interesting uh, developments there as well. If you look at, uh, I think he works for MIT, Lex Friedman, who is a very famous YouTuber as well. Um, Lex Friedman is also someone um, who is, has is, is a very open mind when it comes to uh, trying to find out what the impact of technology will be on our daily lives. And he also documents his journey uh, through YouTube and the podcast and interviews with people. Uh, uh, his most recent YouTube is uh, the fourth interview he's done with Elon Musk. Uh, and uh, uh, I like also that you upload it to YouTube so that other people can see your journey um, as well. And I know YouTube is hard uh, because you look at Mr. Beast and all the others who literally have millions of subscribers. Um, but I like YouTube as a platform because it's an archive. It archives, it's very good at archiving things. And, uh, and you never know how a search on YouTube might have someone land on one of your videos and then add something interesting to the conversation. Can I put this video on my YouTube channel with your permission? Yeah, of course, of course. Also, can I put this audio and video clip on my podcast, website, internet, social media, yes. everywhere with your permission? Absolutely. And um, 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 my, um, if if you want to mention me, it's uh, clovelarts.com is my website, and that's where they can see, uh, for example, how they can subscribe to my newsletter or or how they can contact me. Um, so I'll I think put your I'll put your web links in the description also on the screen as well. Also on yeah. my website, people who find Good. this video yeah. can able to see the work that you're doing, can able to learn uh, from you. That's fine. I'm looking forward um, to the interactions uh, from your audience. Definitely. And uh, can you spell it, your website or your so social media presence to yeah. my podcast listeners? So it's my name, Clovilas, which is C-L-O. 
W-I-L-L-A-E-R-T-S, Willaerts, uh, .com, clovillaerts.com. My newsletter, which I think is my best work, is uh, same, same name, clovillaerts, in one word, .substack.com. A weekly newsletter called Chaos and Amazement about the impact of digital technology on our daily lives. Definitely. I'm sure it will reach a lot of people and I'm sure with your uh, contribution, a lot of positive things happens in the internet. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much again for your valuable time. <laughs> You're welcome. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. I'm not sure. Welcome to Smart Cherry Thoughts. This is Sai from India.